listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning and welcome to part three of our series called FAQ. Uh, If you have anything to take notes with, pull it out. If your neighbor has something to take notes with and you don't, steal theirs. I give you permission. And they're a Christian. They have to forgive you. It's all good. And, uh, And then also, if you're watching this online, share the video. People need a message of hope and encouragement in this wild world that we live in. Uh, In FAQ, the idea with the series is to deal with the frequently asked questions that we all have in Christendom. Like when you accept Christ, you got questions. How does this thing work? And then when we look at culture and in our country, especially the change, the rapid pace of the change that we see, we have real questions that deserve real answers. And that's the heart of FAQ. We have some frequently asked questions that are coming in even before we thought of doing this series. What we want to do is really get to the bottom of them and answer them in a way that somebody that needs the cookies on the bottom shelf understands. Somebody from the North Country. I'm not naming names. And so uh, I said last week, I have to to ask for your forgiveness. I said as we dismissed last week that this would be the week that we're talking about end times and we'd be talking about eternity. I lied. That is next week, everybody. And so you need to come next week, and I'll tell you the exact day that Jesus Christ will return. I promise you, I'll take a stab at it. And um, just kidding, got tense all of a sudden. Relax. We're not that church. But uh, I will be talking about end times. I think it is incredibly interesting. But more than that, when you talk about the end times, you talk about heaven, hope rises in the room. And so don't miss next week. You're going to love it. But today, here's the question we're going to be answering In the title of this sermon, what is God's plan for my life? What is his will? Every person that accepts Christ, they they get to the spot where it's like, okay, God, now what? What do you want me to do? And there's something in your heart that wants to be a God pleaser. You want to do it the right way. You don't want to mess it up, you know? And so you're like, God, what is your will? I want to do it. I don't know what it is. And, And I feel like it's become almost mystical, in some ways, like we can never know. And we'll deal with that today. But, you know, people all through the ages, since Jesus rose and ascended, you know, they've had questions. Who am I supposed to marry? How many of you grew up believing that there was one person out there that you needed to marry? Just be honest, you were told that. Or maybe you watched Princess Bride and, and you, you got your theology from, from that. So I, I had that same thought. And, and here's what kind of tormented me. I wanted to do God's will. I wanted to marry the right person. But then I thought like, what if I don't? What if I marry the wrong person? What if 10 guys after me, I mess up their marriages because I took some guys like the one for that dude? God, is that why the birth rate of women is higher than the birth rate? And I get all introspective and it's like, I don't really think that's how it works. In fact, not to spoil everything, but the Bible says, choose in the Lord who you'd marry. So you have choice in that. So don't feel like if you're super, super attracted to somebody that, ah, I should let it go because it's too pleasurable. Praise the Lord. Conversely, if you're not attracted to somebody at all, maybe not great marriage material, you know? Take up your cross in other ways. But uh, (laughs) I also had the question, maybe you had the same question. Is there a time to die? Like, is 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 there like an expiration date on this thing? And it kind of messed me up, and I got to the spot where it's like, well, God, I don't even know. If there is, I'm in. Whatever you're going to do. But then I was flying a plane one time, and I'm taking this commercial flight to Florida, and I think, 
what if it's the pilot's time? You know what I mean? Like, what if it didn't really matter, then all of a sudden it mattered a lot? And, and we have questions about, like, we elected who? I was going to invest money. I'm going to, I mean, praise the Lord, got quiet in the Presbyterian church, but I'm just, maybe that's my cross. But you don't want to miss out. Is now the time? Should I buy the house? We were going to go big. Do we go home? And, and we go through these things like, where should, where should I live? What, what street should I be on? What if I buy the wrong house? And it's like that movie, you know? And, and I just, God, what is your will? I want to do your will. And I think that we choke on these things because we don't know the first place to start. And take it from a guy that choked on trying to understand the will of God and also heard all the wild doctrine that grannies have to say about it that I finally got a real footing in this. You're going to leave today with a concrete understanding of the will of God. I'm telling you, it's going to set some of you free. I'm excited. I'm going to start in a passage that you might not think about when you're trying to figure out what God's will is. It's in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up and our ushers will serve you with one. Uh, it, it's a free Bible. You get to keep it. Uh, you just have to tell all your friends that you stole it from church because I think that's funny. I don't know why. It's a dad joke to the max. But this is Jesus speaking, and uh, it's in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. I'm going to start reading in verse 13. I'll jump to verse 21 and finish in verse 23. The Bible says this. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. Narrow gate. Let's all say that. One, two, three. The narrow gate. Remember that. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done a whole bunch of stuff? And I will declare to them, I don't know who you are. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. On to the question of, can we even know God's will? Write this down. This is huge. You need to know God's will. If this passage has the gravity to it that I think we all know that it does, you had better know God's will in this world. Because if he's saying that it's not all the people that say poetry to him, Lord, Lord, it's the people that say, you're Lord, you're boss, I'll do whatever, and then he's going to feed you the lines, his will, and you're going to go, those people, and it's not trying to enter like works into this process, it's not. It's just saying, not just fruitfulness, but also like you're going to be a person who you're going to be right where you're supposed to be. You're going to know it. It's not going to be a surprise to you. You need to know the will of God. Now, my grandma was wonderful. How many of y'all, you're alive today because you had a praying granny? Yeah, the room, okay? And my grandma, she lived out there near Kenowa and 13 Mile, and that's where all my folks were from, and they still had an auction bar. In fact, my cousins got a Baptist church out there, and that's where I spent a lot of my summers. And my grandma, she was a wonderful praying lady, loved the Lord, no theologian, though. And so some things would happen, and my grandma would say, well, it must not have been the will of the Lord. How many of y'all have heard something like that? Like, that must not have been. I don't know, you know. And, and, and you talk about the will of the Lord, and you kind of back up. God works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. I mean, why are we talking like this all of a sudden? Anybody else watch TBN and be like, why does he talk that way? Anyway. Must not have been the will of the Lord. That's a real hard one for me because 
Tell that to the person who loved somebody who died young or died prematurely. Maybe they were older in age, but they could have lived a lot longer. Tell that to the person that lost all kinds of money on something that really they had nothing to do with. Some rich fat cat made a whole bunch of backroom deals in New York City and it, and it cost them half their retirement. Just it must not have been the will of the Lord. That's very cruel. Because you had to close the doors on your business. Somebody came, well, it must not have been God's will. And, 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 and think about this one. The marriage ended. You're going to go to somebody and say, well, it must not have been God's will. I have a real hard time with that. And, and the hard thing that I have with the people that, oh, God's, God's ways are so mysterious that we can't understand it is this. Well, if it's so mysterious, how do you know that it must not have been God's will? You're here's, here's what they're doing. They're revealing all their cards. They're just guessing. And if it's wrong for you to guess that it was God's will and fight for your business, but you lost it, it's wrong for them to guess that it must not have been. And it's a circular reasoning that I think has paralyzed Western Michigan for decades. And I want you to be free from that today and understand what God's trying to say. If you're going to have any stability in your relationship with God, if you're really going to come to know his character and how he does things, not just what he does, but how he does them, write this down. You have to realize this. We cannot determine the will of God by looking at our circumstances. You will choke. You can't determine what God's trying to say by just looking at what is happening. Well, Pastor Joe, Sister Jones, you know, she got cancer. Must not be God's will for her to survive. She passed away. Well, Brother Jones got drunk. Is it God's will for Brother Jones to get drunk? No, that's circular reasoning, isn't it? How about the person that, that, that has a bank get robbed and, 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 and is held up at gun, but must have been God's will for that? Or, or how about children that are abused or molested? You go tell a parent of a child that's been abused in that way that it must have just been God's will. I'm telling you, it's, it's not benign. It's sick. It's a sick doctrine. Because you get into people's minds and you start meddling with spiritual things and they think that you're right. And, and God bless them. Some people are just doing it out of ignorance. I, I think honestly, my grandma, she has the handle on it now because she's in heaven. But she just didn't know. And it gets people these ideas about God that are just not found in the word of God. Just because something happens does not mean that it's God's will on earth that that happened. Even when something bad happens to something good or something good happens to someone bad. Now, God wants everybody to be saved. Did you know that? Can we agree on that in the room? God wants everybody to be saved. If we're not, let me just read it for you. 2 Peter 3, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance, right? That's his will. Question, is everybody in your neighborhood going to heaven? I'm sure as heck fire tell you, in my neighborhood, they're not all going to heaven. I'm positive about one of them. <laughs> you too? <laughs> <laughs> but think about that. His will is that all would be saved. He, he shed his blood and made provision. And yet we know from experience, people die and go to hell every single day. And that's not God's best, is it? That's very, very profound. Why do people not do that? They either don't, they don't know or they didn't submit their hearts to Jesus. But it's like that with so many different areas in our life. And so here's what I want you to see. According to Scripture, we're commanded, commanded, write it down, 
to know the will of God. I want to read for you Ephesians 5 out of a couple different translations. I think that that always just helps to give us clarity. If you're a King James only person, there it is. Uh, King James says this, the authorized version, be ye not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Bible says that you're not wise if you don't understand the will of the Lord, and it says that it can be understood. Uh, This is what it says in the American Standard Version, be ye not foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, again, I've told you, I'm from inner city Nuego, and we're not like casting shade on you, calling you a fool. You know what I mean? The Bible's saying that you're being fooled. It's not name-calling. It's saying, it's saying this area is an area you can be easily duped in. Don't be fooled. The Amplified Version, the Bible with a lot more words. Therefore, do not be vague and thoughtless and foolish, but understanding and firmly grasping what the will of the Lord is. Do you see what your Bible says? Here's a good litmus test. Are you warring right now with what the Bible says in your heart? That's how you know you have beliefs that came from tall tales and folk doctrine, not from the Bible. We can understand what God is trying to say to us. And and you're not going to get it from what you feel or from what's happening in the world. You know, when you look at at the, the... just natural disasters. I think about like tornadoes and hurricanes and famine and, and drought and things like that. You can see that God isn't controlling these things, that there's something else at play. God love them. I have no idea why they keep on rebuilding more Oklahoma. Anybody else have that question? It always comes up to the, well, more home, uh, Oklahoma blew away again and, and we have efforts to rebuild it. You're like, wait a second. You can see that there's an enemy fighting against us. And even more than just that, The way that God wants to communicate to us is not in the fire, the earthquake. It's in a higher order than that. God's will, you're going to love this, is very theologically similar to a football goalpost. Throw that picture up there, guys. As you know, I'm a huge sports buff. And so, um, shut up. And um, (laughs) this example is a concrete example you'll never forget as long as you live. Because what I want you to see first before we even start teaching through it is that there is a frame, right? If you're not familiar with football, you need to get it through the top part of there. There is a frame of what's going to be inbounds. Anything inside there, they kick it through, whatever it looks like, they can kick it through and have a field goal. Make sense? And so in the same way, the will of God is framed in our life. There's a zone, a sweet spot, if you will. And it's something that's not ambiguous. It's something you can very easily define. The first leg of this whole thing is, write it down, God's sovereign will. That's the far left side of this goalpost. Now, sovereign just means first. And God is sovereign, and though what he said is true, and it's going to happen. So, for instance, there's things in the Bible that are fixed. They're going to happen. Prophetic things in in the book of Revelation and Daniel, talking about the end times. And however God said it, that's what's going to happen. He even knew in his foreknowledge how rating it to us, and think about how weird people are, how quirky people are, like we get our hands in it and mess with it. He knew how us messing with it would affect it, and he still wrote it that way, and it will play out exactly as he said, no matter how much we try to meddle. Does that make sense? And so these are things like the rapture of the church, the second coming of Christ, fixed things, prophetic things that he said about the future. I believe prophetic things that we're seeing play out right now. And so these things are fixed. They're also, in addition to the prophetic things that he forecasted, there's other sovereign things like this, the way to be saved. He prescribed the way that you accept Christ. It's not ambiguous, is it? We would say, 
you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. The Bible says you'll be saved, right? And so these are sovereign decisions that God made, and they affect your life greatly, but they're things that you don't get a vote in. They're going to happen how he said that they were going to happen. How about this one? You were born for such a time as this. Boy, you don't have to be a follower of God to realize you didn't get a vote when you were born, right? Here you is. <laughs> and so, so you were born for this time. Me, I wish I was growing up in the 40s and 50s. I like bubble cars. I like the oldies music. Come on, give me some Frank Sinatra, baby. Why don't people dress right anymore? I don't know. And so, you know, but it's not true. That's a lie. I was born for this time to try to culture you people. I'm just doing what I can. <laughs> Suffering for Jesus. <laughs> that's ridiculous. God's sovereign way is outside of our hands, and that's okay. Well, somebody says, well, what about when Jesus prayed, Lord, if it be thy will? Well, I'm so glad y'all brought that up. You sent me so, so well in these messages. But he prayed that one time. He prayed it one time. When? He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew who he was. He knew he was headed to execution, and he was praying to God, if this cup can pass from me, in other words, if, if it's not now, if it's not this way, God, if there's any way to not do it this way, I don't want to die a crucifixion and a scourging. And he knew what he was getting into. I believe God was giving him foresight about that. And he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That is called a prayer of consecration. That would be something that we can do. You don't know the will of God, but what you're saying is, whatever it is, God, I'm in. This would be like uh, you don't know what job to take or you don't know if you're supposed to move or not, something like that. One time Jesus prayed it. Did he ever pray it to somebody that was sick? You show me, I'll give you my house. It's not there. Did he ever say it to one time, somebody who was going through a hard time and, and they were dealing with sin and shame and if it be thy will, God forgive them of their sin? No. In America, we don't choke on whether or not God forgives sin or not. We choke on the hallmarks of Jesus' ministry, healing people, raising the dead, having financial and provision miracles, things like that. That's what we choke on is the supernatural because we have so much provision and we have a government that also wants to act like it's God. <laughs> Felt good to say. I don't know if it'll make it to air. <laughs> Talking about a different government, Zuckerberg, leave me alone. Um, here's what I'm trying to say is you might get to a spot where you consecrate your heart to God and you say, God, I really don't know. Those are very rare prayers to pray because God has a sovereign will and you can know it. So I want you to ask yourself some, some pretty profound questions this week, maybe with your accountability or prayer partner. Ask yourself, has God already dealt with this? Is, is there already an answer? Oh, God, what's your answer? Well, there, there already is one. Don't you just want to know chapter and verse? Where is it? Perfect. And then what does the Bible say? I mean, that's where you're going to have the most clarification, especially on sovereign things. What does it say about it? Okay, next leg of the field goal post is God's moral will, the moral will of God. And I, I say moral will, but this really encompasses a lot of different areas. Yes, it's moral, meaning he's very clear about what's sin and what's not sin, yeah? But there's also things that he talks about that are just wisdom. So like God's wisdom book, Proverbs, has a lot of things that if you assimilate those into your life, you're going to be like closer to the will of God than if you didn't assimilate those things. Make sense? But it's not necessarily like sin or not sin. It's wisdom or not wisdom. And so I call it the moral will, but it encompasses a lot of different things. Let me say this. There's a lot of things in your life that are already prescribed. They already have the answer. And what we need to do is figure out where God was vocal about it and figure out what it is and just align our lives with that. I want to say this as well. God will never call you to do something 
contradictory to his word. I had a good friend of mine come in this week. I won't name him. I hadn't seen him in years. And he's suffering a divorce. And his wife came to him and said, God told me that we're supposed to get a divorce. And I said to him, I said, I'm sorry that she did that. That is the most crazy thing I've ever heard in my life. That makes no sense. God isn't going to call anybody to do something that's outside of his word, his will, what his calling would be. And really what she was doing was spiritual abuse. I'm sorry that happened. You know what's funny is a couple weeks later after they split everything up, all of a sudden it's all his fault. Now everything's, well, wait a second. Was it God's will or was it all the stuff that you had been holding on to and didn't want to deal with or go to counseling about? Does that make sense? And so God will never call you to do something that contradicts the Bible. So the moral will of God is shown in the Bible. It deals with Christian conduct. Maybe you want to jot that down. Your civic duty in government, by the way, every major Bible figure, uh, many of them paid with their lives, uh, were taken down for civil disobedience. How to marry. Not who to marry, but how. There's a way to do it. And, and the Bible says choose in the Lord. What to do and what not to do. I'm not talking about your specific calls of what to do and what not to do, but like certain things that you need to like get close to and certain things to stay away from. How to lead. So many more things are in God's moral will, if you will, that he deals with in the Bible. Most of my teaching over the course of the year deal with God's sovereign will and moral will. Why? You want to know what the Bible says. You want me to teach you the word. And so I'm trying to give that to you. That's the best way to lead you to, as we as pastors would say, uh, green pastures, still waters. Here's what that means, peace in your life. And so we, we spend most of our time there. Now what I want you to see, if you guys could throw up that uh, field goal one more time, the one that we were on. If you look at that, the structure of the field goal post, both sides of it, the whole structure, that is the word of God. I want you to get that. His sovereign will and his moral will are both expressed so clearly in the word, and that's where it creates some boundaries. Now, this is what Hebrews says. I'm going to read some excerpts out of Hebrews 1. For those of you that like extra homework, uh, verses 1 through 4 would be good to read. The Bible says, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The Bible has answers for so much of the things that we deal with, so many of the things that we face in this life, and the Bible is amazing. It is not here by accident. Uh, I heard that the shortest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 117. The longest chapter in the Bible is 119. The middle chapter of the whole Bible is 118. There's 594 chapters before Psalm 118 and 594 chapters after Psalm 118. If you read in Psalm 118 and verse 8, the Bible says it's better to put your trust in the Lord than have confidence in man. The two words that are at the center of the Bible, the center of that scripture, the center chapter of it all are the Lord, which is the theme of the whole Bible. If you add 594 and 594, it comes up to 1188. If you take out the apostrophe, counting for 1,118, it is 111, I'm sorry, 1188, which is Psalm 118.8. Look at the incredible detail. Now, I get it. Man put in the chapter and verse, but the Bible says that he watches over his word to perform it. He's even so specific with things like that. This is not just a book. When you read this, it reads you. And I'm telling you, you want to know the will of God. It is so often found in his word. So that means some things. 
It means that you would never pray, Lord, I just got this bill in the mail and I don't have the money to be able to pay it. If it be thy will, God, give me the finances to pay for it. You wouldn't, you, you wouldn't pray for that. Well, why, Pastor Joe? The Bible says in the book of 1 Timothy 5.8 that if anyone does not provide for his own household, he's denied the faith and he's worse than an infidel. You're worse than an unbeliever. What? The Bible says in 3 John 2, Paul prays that you would prosper and be in health so as your soul prospers. So God wants to bless you. You don't have to pray, if it be thy will. It is his will. And I think that's the big thing I want to show you today is, knock it off. Find out what he thinks about it. I think he was pretty vocal. Anybody been through Deuteronomy? Hello. He knows what he wants. And he knows how to live the best life that he has for you here in this culture on earth today. And so, so get into it. Because the, this if it be thy will junk, you can't find it outside of a true, honest moment in Jesus' life. And he's our model. They call us Christians. Well, how about this one? How can a person expect to receive healing from God if they're not sure that it's his will? Well, I could show you... And the Gospels I could show you in the epistles I could show you in James chapter 5 that it's clearly provided for. I'm talking about physical healing. And Western Michigan chokes on this one big time. Build a bridge and get over it. You want to take healing out of the Bible, you're not going to have a lot of the four Gospels left. And so understand, if you know that it's his will, you can go after it in prayer and claim it because it's a promise of God. But let me read to you what happens. And this is what I think happens, happened for me for years, is I was in that cycle of some, some cousin to humility that says, if it be thy will after everything, because I didn't know. I was double-minded. Let me read it for you in James 1. The Bible says, ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like the wave of a sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. You don't know what the will of the Lord is on something? The Bible calls you double-minded. It calls you an unstable Christian. And it says, it's written to Christians. It says, don't let that man suppose that he's going to receive anything from the Lord. For the most part, the things that you pray the Lord, you should know that it's already a promise and you're standing on a promise of God. It's the same way that you got saved. You read it in the Bible. You found out, if I believe in my heart, confess with my mouth, I'll be saved. It's the same way. You find a promise in God's word. You believe in your heart and you pray it out loud. Ask God for it. And the Bible says, believe you receive when you pray. Not roll the dice when you pray. Different religion. <laughs> so what I want you to see is that Scripture doesn't want you to be double-minded. It wants you to be resolved on these things. A couple questions to ask yourself. What am I doing that I should not be doing? It's, it's not good for me. And then, what am I not doing that I should be doing? And for some of us, it's like, stop guessing, let's jump in the Bible, figure out what God actually wants in this whole thing. Okay, i got to press on. Now, when we talk about the sovereign will, these are things that are going to happen. They're fixtures. And then we talk about the moral will of God. These are things that we can assimilate to live, uh, live a God-pleasing life. But the third level, letter C in my diagram, would be God's personal will for your life. Do you see it? Do you remember when we read the words of Jesus? The narrow gate. He said, those that do the will of my Father. He's teaching on this. Do you see it? 
That if, if and we know everybody is in the sovereign will, like, like meaning that we are subject to the things that God prophesied. And the moral will, I'm telling you, you don't have to be the best doobie in the world if your heart is submitted to God. You might not be perfect, but I'm telling you, God acknowledges that. That makes you totally apt to be able to receive this personal will that God wants to speak to your life. So significant. This narrow gate, you could call this uh, a a gate system, a narrow way. This is God's uh, personal vision for you what he wants to speak personally for you. It's in line with your gifts and talents. It's in line with how he made you. Uh, Some would call it a plan. Some would call it a call. Let me just put it this way, real honest. God's up to something in your life. Don't ignore it. It's going to be phenomenal if you lean into everything that he wants, but it's going to be found when you find yourself in the middle of those goalposts. Okay, Every good Christian praying granny, I'm sure every hand that we had up, your granny had this magnet. Let me read it for you. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the, everybody's picture of your granny right now. Oh, everybody say, oh, I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Call on me. Come and pray to me. I'll listen. You'll seek me when you find me, when you seek me with all of your heart. Do you see how that puts to bed all this goofy, voodoo, Christian, mysterious ways, you know? Do you know where they get all of that junk about God? You know, where they get it? I'm going to read you the passages, and you're going to be amazed at the first scripture and the scripture right after it, almost with every uh, one of these. Deuteronomy 29, 29. You ready for the mysterious things? The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us. To our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. That's Old Testament. You ready for New Testament? Ephesians 1. I read before out of Ephesians 5, a lot of God's will is in Ephesians. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Does anybody want to know what the mystery is? I'll tell you, because it's not your mystery. The mystery of the Bible, the mystery of the Old Testament was Jesus was going to be crucified on a cross. He was going to die, be buried, he would resurrect, but then he wasn't going to clean house and establish his holy city of Jerusalem above Jerusalem and and, and clean everybody's clock and occupy Jerusalem. The mystery was the church age. The mystery was the fact, and a Jewish person couldn't even comprehend this. They looked at Gentiles as dogs. I mean, just pagan, dirty. You guys are unclean in every way. They couldn't see the fact that you and your little booger We're going to get saved. That's the mystery. That's all it is. The mystery. That's all it's talking about. And even when it's prophesying about it in Deuteronomy, it's talking about how, hey, and it's going to be revealed, and you're going to have a handle on it. It's for your kids. What? How about this? 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9. As it is written. This is where the mysterious thing comes from. The scripture. As it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And people just stop right there. Keep reading. But God has revealed them to us through how? Through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. When I was 10, 11 years old, uh, I, I lived in largely a secular family. We put up a Christmas tree. Uh, we colored Easter eggs. 
Uh, I was always horrified when I would see my parents at church, like think I did something wrong. They don't belong here. You know, like remember that Jamie Rex and Cheryl would pick us up and uh, we had, we had these people pick us up in a church van. Anybody else part of that crowd? And yeah, you know what I'm talking about Rex and Cheryl. In fact, Rex just went home to be with the Lord and a wonderful man of God. Thank you, Jesus for the resurrection. And Rex and Cheryl picked us up faithfully for so many years until my mom got into a big old fight with poor Cheryl and threw her through the storm glass window. But that's another story altogether. <laughs> Wild at my house growing up. But I, I remember like having this thing in my heart that pulled me towards God. Like I, I knew it was right. I knew he was Lord. And, and at my church with my grandparents, they sent me off to a, a Baptist Bible camp up in Dunbar, Wisconsin, Northland Baptist Bible camp. And I went all the way up there. In fact, much of how we do FAQ and question series is because my pastor took the time to answer my questions on that long trip up. We went across the, the Mackinac Bridge. We went all the way across over to, to Wisconsin. Well, at that camp, the first night, and it's typical, most youth camps, you give a salvation altar call and people got saved. I had already been saved, but at the end of the whole week, they gave another call and preached around it for people to give their whole lives to Christ. And I'm like, I'm already saved. I don't know what you're talking about. He's talking about your vocation, whatever you do. If God's called you to be a preacher, you'll be a preacher. Be a housewife, be a housewife. Sell insurance, be a cement man. Go be a missionary. I mean, whatever he's called you to do, we're cool with it. You're just saying, I'll do it. And I remember I was the first one to go walk that aisle, and this was our tradition in country church. We'd go down, you'd shake the Baptist preacher's hand. He'd shake your hand and go, all right, son, you go down and pray. And I'd pray you know, real hard, you know. Well, being 10, 11 years old, I got back to the teepee that we stayed in that night. Yes, it was that luxurious. And uh, the counselor said, boy, Joe, when you went down there, you were crying. Sounds like God really did something in your life. And I said, I was crying because I do not want to go to Africa. <laughs> and there's a distinct possibility at this point that he might call me to be a missionary. And I do not want to shovel elephant dung for the rest of my life. And, and I got to tell you, I felt guilty about feeling that way for the longest time. I really did. I got over it because I'm not going to Africa. But, but beyond that, like, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to. I don't. You say, well, you're a hotel missionary. Absolutely am. Send me to India, China, Russia. I, there better be a four-point Sheridan there. That's where I need to go. I need a warm shower. Or oh, shame the devil and tell the truth. We're not so shallow. <laughs> and, and so then at 17 years old, years later, I go back to a secular house Having received this call, I felt like I was supposed to preach, but went back to a secular house, and at 17, I did something very, very spiritual and followed a girl to church. That's my story. And when I went there on June 4th, 2004, I rededicated and became enamored with God. He changed my... I believe I would have gone to heaven before I confessed Jesus, but like, my life pancaked. In fact, I run into people that I went to school with, they can't recognize me. Who the world is this, you know? Some of them come up trying to score something off me. I mean, like, what's happening, you know? <laughs> I wasn't always saved. <laughs> Laugh. <laughs> and so I go to this church and, and, and become enamored with God. Now, remember, I have a, a credible scholarship, full ride, really, to either Central Michigan or to go to Kendall College. My brother went to Kendall College. My dad went there and taught there. My grandpa taught there. There's six generations of Sicilian, honorable, incredible quality designers and artists and muralists and painters. Oh my gosh, just amazing. And I, was, I wanted to go be an architect or a designer. My grandpa worked at Herman Miller and so did my dad as contract. I, just, I wanted to go design that next chair. You know what I'm talking about? I got a 670 and 671. Anyone in the room know what I'm talking about? Holla, holler. And so here's what I'm trying to say, Herman Miller. And so uh, 
I'm down at the altar. It's fall. I had just turned 18. It was the tradition on Saturday nights that a lot of people would come down to the front of the stage. We had two Saturday night services and two Sunday morning. By the way, that's not so far off. And I was down praying during a song of worship, and the song was Big Daddy Weave, Fields of Grace. I'm dating myself, okay? There's a lyric in that song that says, there's a place where religion finally dies. And in a moment, I don't know if you believe in this or not, but it happened, I saw it. I saw myself preaching the gospel. Here's what it looked like. It would take me hours to scribe completely, but just a vignette of it is, I can't see my face. I'm back here. I'm looking at myself dressed in a caramel suit. I'm on a stage in the open air out in a massive field, and the field goes as far as you could imagine. The scaffolding that goes all around to make the cube looks like something that, that I don't know, Coldplay would have purchased or rented. I mean, it's amazing. There's lights on me. I'm preaching. I'm telling you, buddy, I'm shucking the corn. I'm preaching people up one side and down the other. I'm preaching like a man of God. I never preached a message in my life when I saw that. And the lights went out to faces, and as far as the faces went, as far as the light went, you could see faces, and I knew that they were far beyond there. And boom, in a moment, I'm back at that altar, finishing out fields of grace with everybody else. And what was in my heart would take hours and hours to try to give, but I knew I will plant a life-giving church in Grand Rapids. I will be a pastor of a church. I will be a person who plants it and doesn't take it over. I will plant a church that plants other churches. And my church will be the place where religion finally dies, where people can come from the outside in. doesn't matter what you did last night. God's grace is in the house. The tomb is empty. Jesus is risen, and there's grace for today. Can I get an amen, somebody? That's what I saw. I'm telling you, it was effortless to give up all of that stuff and follow Jesus and everything that he had for me, and it was accidental. I wasn't trying to pursue any of that. It took me off guard. God do that sometimes. If God's not kind of messing with you every once in a while, I don't know if you're a Christian because he's on the move, everybody. And so write this down. You might hear God's will accidentally, but you will not fulfill God's personal will for your life accidentally. It will not just happen. A lot of gravity to that. That's pretty weighty, Pastor Joe. So it begs the question, how can we, how can I hear God's voice? How can I hear what he has for me? And listen to me. You need to hear God's voice. There's some things about this life you'll never see come to pass. There's some things about your Christian walk you'll never experience until you get that relationship going with him where you can hear your God. Now somebody says, are you hearing God speak audibly? No, I've actually never heard God's audible voice. I've heard him much louder than that. You hear me? And so a couple of thoughts about how to hear God's voice as we're trying to get God's will for our personal lives. Number one, write it down with me. Spend time with God to hear his voice. Get to know him personally, everybody. Spend time. How are you going to hear God's will for your life personal way? Spend time. Romans 8 is a seminal passage. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. This is talking about a concept called the Christian witness. In other words, that there's an inward witness that God is trying to communicate, and there's a knowing there. Now, some of you guys, 
you get frustrated and it paralyzes you because you want to do God's will and you want to take a big, bold step, but you're not positive that that step is the step you're supposed to take. And you think that if it happens, you're going to get struck by lightning and killed. No. Opposite. God honors it. What? Let me show you the Apostle Paul and Silas in the book of Acts. This is going to free you from paralysis. So you don't have to fear taking a step that might not be the perfect step, but you're going to start moving, and God can direct moving people. Acts 16, verse 6. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia, must be a church in western Michigan because it's ice cold. When they had gone through Phrygia in the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Spirit. So Phrygia, Galatia, they were forbidden by the Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, correct me if you think you can say it better, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came to Troas, seven different places. Very interesting. The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the content in your New Testament, he knows he's called by God to go preach the gospel. He even knows that I'm called to go preach to those Gentiles and not to the Jews. We've got other guys taking care of the Jews. I've got to go out there and reach these Gentiles. So he's going into Asia Minor. Think of it as a brother to the Middle East and to other areas like that. And he's going boldly. And he's thinking like, man, we're going to go get them. And as he's going to these places, he gets there. Do you know how hard it was to travel in antiquity? you know how dangerous it was? He gets there and the Holy Spirit says, oh, not here. Awesome. And he keeps doing seven different times. Now think about that. Do you feel like such a dunce anymore? Why don't you take the step and then maybe hear, no, it's not that. Maybe he's trying to build something in your relationship that he wants you to go see some things and do some things and be exposed to other opportunities. Who knows that they're not later down the road? But, but you taking the step, him doing it with you, leading you, what if that's the journey altogether? You know, I don't think that they heard a voice, knock it off, it's not here, turn around. I, I don't think it was anything like that. Anybody else hear Labyrinth when I did that? Sorry, i got to move on. <laughs> I think that those guys, they're good old boys sitting around the bonfire, and Paul probably just looked at Silas and said, it ain't here, Silas. We can't do this. It's not here. How do you know? Inward witness. It just, I, I just know it's not here. Can't do it. And, and this inward vision, think of it like an impression, a sense about things. You could even say having a vision. In fact, if you don't believe in visions, you're going to have a hard time with the New Testament. Acts 16, now verse 9, next scripture. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Pause. Everybody look at me for a second. This guy in Macedonia is not praying to Paul. This is how amazing God is. This guy in Macedonia is pleading to God, and what God is doing is, hey, he didn't pray for it yet. I know that you were out there doing it. I know that you are looking for him. He's praying for it right now, Paul. This is what he's saying. And Paul gets this into it. He has the vision of the guy praying, and he gets it. What does it say next? Now, after he had seen the vision, so maybe it wasn't that night. Maybe it was a couple weeks ago or months ago, but he wasn't seeing it. What is God speaking to us that we're too dense sometimes to slow down and listen and say, hey, you, I can do that. No big deal. You know, we got to see it. After he'd seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. And Paul says, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. God is not tore back by you being on a process with him. 
He gathered it over the, over the course of time. They went and had other, you, I wouldn't call them failures. They saw other things. I wish sometimes that God wouldn't have us do that. You know what I'm saying? I wish, just tell me what you want to do and I'll do it, you know? But sometimes he has us go explore other things. New Chapel got the left foot of fellowship. We were meeting at a school over off the East Belt Line. We had been at the movie theater two years. We'd been at the school for about two years. And they made it uh, abundantly clear to us that's going to be it. And that we need to leave in about six months. And I went looking for another place that we could rent from, maybe a place that we could lease from. It was a hard market. Nobody was going to rent to me anymore. It was different than even four years earlier. And so we started looking at the real estate market. We looked at different places. We looked at commercial real estate. We looked at industrial. We looked at old churches, everything in between. And I was initially pretty excited because it was, it was right up uh, the East Belt Line when it kind of becomes Northland Drive. There was a great church there called Bridgeway, wonderful church. And they had more of a heart for Rockford as, as a you know, location. They really didn't want to be where they were. And so they built in Rockford and they were moving on, but that was up for sale. I'm not embarrassed to tell you that I went and parked my cheap car in that parking lot and walked around that building seven times. I rebuked every devil. I prayed, oh God, please, please, please give me the 10 acres in the city. I mean, that's enough to make a Baptist pray in tongues. You know what I'm saying? That's a lot. They were asking a reasonable amount. We put in offers. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Do you remember T-Square off from the Plainfield? It was an art supply store. Uh, it was less than 6,000 square feet. We couldn't make it work. We had to get a special permission from the municipality. I went there, and against their own rules, for the record, they, they denied our petition to be able to meet there. And I felt like, all right, let's go. David and Goliath, get ready to see a miracle, everybody. You know. And the Lord said, you'd be right to fight it, and you would win. But I have something better for you. So again, some, a door closed. You can't just take circumstance as evidence. I'm pairing this with like, God, what is this? What's going on? And so I looked at this side of town. This was originally where we had wanted to plant uh, the church four years earlier. And uh, I got uh, given all the information about the muse or if you're old enough in the room, the green apple, anybody? And so uh, some of y'all laugh because you did things that you only want to laugh about anymore. You don't want to talk about them. And so just down the way, uh, I, I thought that'd be cool. And, and I could see it, you know. I, I saw the tall storefront that they had, which is something I still want. I saw how they built it up. And I went inside. It was gross, just to be honest. They had water damage, mold, and everything. But I could see it. I thought that the parking lot kind of looked like bedrock on the Flintstones. But, you know, like I was excited. And so we put in an offer, denied. Put in a second offer, denied. I had to call the lender, be like, can I do this? They're like, no, kind of. I don't know, see what they do. And so I put in a third offer, and they denied it. And finally, I went back to my least favorite one on the list, the old Rite Aid. I don't want to meet church at the old Rite Aid. That's my only thing. I don't want to have church at Rite Aid. Doesn't feel spiritual, you know? The only thing worse is trying to rent out a hotel, and all of a sudden, Chubby Bunny comes out wearing his trunks, and he smells like chlorine in the middle of your service, like, hey, where's the music coming from? You know, hard to really deal with people and spiritual things. I was that said Chubby Bunny. Here's what I'm saying. I came back in, and right about where Felipe is, I asked for a ladder, and the drop ceiling was about here at 10 feet, and I took a broom, lifted it up, and I could see 13 feet, 11 inches to the bottom of the deck, and I said, I could do this. That was the profound moment. The rest is history. You now sit. The pharmacy, the header is right up there. If you can see it, that's where the pharmacy was. Remember when the pharmacist would look down at you? What's that all about? 
yeah, we'll fulfill it, but you just stay down there. You know, I mean, that's a lot. <laughs> Maybe that's why I don't have church here, but God, why did you send me off to all those other buildings? He gave me some incredible comparisons. He's not in a rush like I feel like I'm in a rush. He's not anxious. So listen to me. You don't be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. You listen to God. You start moving with what you do know. Go back to the last word you heard from God. Start there. And if he needs to redirect and all that, let him, let him be the Lord. You stop playing the role of the Holy Spirit and try to figure it all out before you take the first step. Can I, can I just get an amen on that one? That, I think that's going to free you. Okay. Number two, you need to make friends with God's word and learn how to think like God. Make friends with God's word. Some of your, your closest friends will be words. When you seek God and you follow him and his will, there'll be words. And he invites you to come up on that higher order and think like him. Exchange your thoughts for his. Romans 12, 2, that's what it says. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Anybody else think that the world's kind of lost the plot? They, they might not even know their next move. I heard something about amazing this morning, 90% reduction in beef. You know that's a prophetic sign? Can't wait until next week. I'll tell you about it. But it says that there'll be those that forbid people to eat meat in the last days. Amazing, amazing. That, and these, I mean, have, have you ever gone to Sunday school? Just fake like you went. Ah, Lanta. <laughs> Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Same word in the Greek used when Jesus was transfigured on the Mount of Olives. It, it's a comprehensive change of your life by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You want God's perfect will for your life? Get close to him in his word. Number three, I got to move on. God's best can always stand up to scrutiny. Well, Pastor Joe, I'm healed in my body, so I'm going to throw away all of my medicine. Listen, you need to take your medicine and go to the doctor and have them confer that, or you're going to die, okay? Like, don't mess with that. Well, I thought you said God's, he is. Lord, just go and let somebody, why hide the miracle, you know? Go, go have somebody say, yes, you are healed, you know? Then throw away that stuff you need to live, you know? And, and, and here's what I'm saying. God isn't put off or in some way think that you're not grateful by having some of these things confirmed. I'm pretty dense when it comes to hearing from him. And I probably... You know, when you hear my story, sometimes you might hear, think I'm hearing from God every time I turn around. I don't. In fact, Abraham, you read his story, 30 years in between words from the Lord. But don't feel like you're a dunce because you feel like you're supposed to do something and you're like, can anybody help? If you feel like you got real direction, it should line up with the word of God, right? If you feel like you have a good idea, God can confirm that. I got this idea, this thing I want to do. Talk to your small group about it. Talk to a pastor about it. Throw it past somebody. How about pray this prayer? God, I think you want me to do this, but I don't want to screw up. Can you please confirm this somehow? Let me know I'm going to do the right thing. He is not put off. Thou weak in faith servant. No. He's probably going like, high five on being a person that's not going to be double-minded and then put it on me because I didn't come through and it was them. Right? How about this? You have a quality step? Get counsel about it. Have somebody speak into it. Bible says in Proverbs eleven fourteen, 14, without good direction, people lose their way. 
the more wise counsel you follow, the better your choices are. So find somebody that loves Jesus and loves you and throw it off them. It's okay. Number four, last point. God will pair direction with peace. Now, I want you to learn the voice of, of God, but, but hear me. Don't, and some of you are so sincere, you, you love God so much, you're praying, you're like, God, I want to hear your voice, audible voice. God, I want to hear. Don't pray to God to hear voices. Satan will come and give a word of confusion and all of that. Listen, if God Almighty wants you to hear his voice, you're going to hear it whether you like it or not. And furthermore, there's people who be like, Jesus, appear to me. You don't want Jesus to appear to you. You read your Bible. Every time he appeared to somebody, incredible hardship was right around the corner. So like, we're good. I'll see you when I get there. I love you. Keep the seat warm for me. <laughs> like, I'm, I might, you know? Like, and so, so, so don't pursue those things, but you can hear the voice of God in a, in a deeper way. And, and what God wants to do is speak words to you that are going to be coupled with peace. My wife's life verse, Philippians 2.13. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. When God gives you direction, it's always going to be paired with, with a strategy, with the desire to do it. Does that make sense? You're, you're going to be excited about getting it done. So, so case in point, all the way back to Bible camp. I'm not called to go and be a missionary to Africa, China, and Russia. But I want you to see how God got me. I am a missionary to Grand Rapids. I started a new work in this city. I have that pioneering spirit that forges ahead. When all hell is breaking loose, people flock to me because I'm known for my stability in hardship and hard times. Guys, he done got me. <laughs> I don't, still don't want to go to Africa unless there's a four-point Sheridan or better. Hi, it's okay. <laughs> but I love this city. I love how artistic we are. I love how I can get away with all this LED stuff. I love the people. I love you so much. I prayed for you before we ever knew each other. And so I have the desire to do what God has called me to do. Some of you have been afraid of hearing from God on next steps. Let me give you some peace on that. 1 John 5 and verse 3. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Oh, man. You're going to want to do that thing that he's called you to do. You're going to feel like you're in the sweet spot. And that's the narrow way. That's not that severe act right or you're going to hell. That's not what it's saying. It's saying you can do the will of God. Look how narrow the way is. It's huge. It's huge. And the Bible says this, he'll broaden the pathway beneath your feet that you might not slip. He's got grace for even when you are a bonehead because I boneheaded my way through a lot of these things as well. And so when I gave up Kendall College and when I gave up scholarships and loaded everything in my 1995 Pontiac Sunfire Coupe, how you doing? <laughs> Went down to Tulsa, Oklahoma to go to Bible college. Guess who has two thumbs and was excited to be there? I couldn't wait to get down. I ate what I call Rama noodles. It's just Rama noodles. They're 10 cents each, but I went to a college called Rama. And so I ate cheap food, gained a ton of weight, and was in love with Jesus. 
I, anything he asks of me. Because here's what happens. When you trust him, when you know that his commandments aren't burdensome, when you know that he does have a plan and will for your life, and he's trying to communicate it to you, when you know... What was the last advice do you think Paul and Silas had before they started going to these places they weren't supposed to go? Go into all the world and preach the good news. They, they just went on the last word that they had. And you're going to do that. And you're not going to be ashamed when you mess up. You're going to take bold steps in faith. As the old man said, it's easier to direct a moving bicycle than a parked one, yeah? One more scripture, and I want to pray for us. 1 John chapter 2. The world and all of its desires pass away. That's what happened to me. But the man that does the will of God, what does he do? He lives forever. Write it down, church. God has a plan for your life, and thank God that this life is not all that there is. Amen, somebody. Do you receive it in the room today? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that your spirit is moving through this place. God, that you're speaking to people, even while I was preaching today about next steps. There's somebody in particular, you just, you feel embarrassed that you checked out for a while because you were thinking about something. You weren't doing that on your own. The Holy Spirit took you on that rabbit trail and he's trying to tell you what to do. Don't feel ashamed about it. We get it. We're behind you. If you're on Facebook, you might have got hit by a rubber band, but the Lord loves what you just did. He gave that to you. He's giving you direction. There's other people in the room that you've known about a next step for a long time and you've talked your way out of it because of politicians and economies and what ifs and you just need to obey God and do it boldly. There's some of you that are paralyzed by next steps, and what you need to do is boldly take a next step and be bold even if it's wrong. Make a big mistake if you're going to make one. What God's going to do is guide your feet towards righteousness, towards peace. The peace that God gives is the peace that passes understanding. He might give you direction to do things that are really hard, in the midst of all of it, you'll have peace. Not like the world. The world needs things to be tranquil, tranquil at peace. You don't. You can be resolved from the inside out. So God, I thank you that you're bringing resolve to people and direction and conversations they know that they need to have and steps they need to take. God, we want to be those that follow your will. And Lord, if there's anybody in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you, help me to find them. They're in the right place. Heads bowed and eyes closed if you came into my church today and you'd say, Pastor Joe, I'm not right with God, whatever that means. God made a way for you where there seemed to be no way. He sent his son, Jesus, into this world. He lived a sinless life and he died on a cross with your name on it. The Bible says when you call him Lord, and I'm not talking about poetry. He's not looking for a call and response. But when you really say, hey, you're Lord, you're boss, I'm done being the God of my life but I give my life to you. If that's you, we're going to pray in a second. You give your life to Jesus, you'll have an eternity in heaven, avoid a Christless hell. More than that, 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 that eternal life, Zoe life, can rush into your life today. Christians, I want you to pray this out loud with those praying it for the first time. Support them and say it because you believe it. Pray this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sins so I can be forgiven. You raised Jesus from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess. Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now 
Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. Put your spirit within me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's get loud for those people that accepted Christ. Proud of you. Let me just tell you, if you prayed that prayer, like, don't be afraid right now because I'm not calling you down to the front. That's just not our flow. There's public things like baptism and there's private things like what you just did. But I'm proud of you and the people around you are proud of you. We have a note that we want to send you talking about next steps. You need to get plugged into a local church. It doesn't have to be this one, but we're very partial to it, you know. Uh, we want you to be water baptized. God has big things in front of you. We want to give you all the information to pray over and know what's coming next. And so uh, if you could go to that connection card, first-time visitors are going to have it, people with prayer requests or change of information. In other words, no one's going to know why you're filling it out. Fill that out so I can send you that note and be praying for you personally. One more time, church. Let's get loud for those people that accepted Christ. Come on, somebody. Louder than that, from death to life. Stand up on your feet, church. I have a couple of announcements before I get you out of here. Uh, we will not be having New Chapel Connect today. In lieu of all of that, we'll be having New Chapel Connect next week, uh, which is going to be pretty significant. That's when I will be preaching that message about end times and about heaven. I think it's really going to help us. One of the things that we're going to be having as soon as we dismiss church today, so for, forgive me if I kind of beeline it past you, is we're having what we're calling the Let's Meet Newcomers Reception. And that is to say, if you've been coming to the church from January until now, like connecting can be difficult, not just at a big church, but at a small one. And so what we want to do is like, learn your name. I'm going to be back there. If you go out these doors over here, the double doors, you're going to go through past the bathrooms. You'll see people and doors open. We're having a newcomer's reception. So anybody that's new from January until now, we want to connect with you. Now, for your benefit, leave your kids back in kids' church. You can pick them up afterwards, and I'm not going to keep you all day. We're going to have some dessert, talk a little bit about our story, hopefully be able to have a conversation with everybody. But how many of y'all just believe that we can grow this church and be personal at the same time? Can I get an amen on that? That's what we're trying to do. And so if you know somebody and, uh, and you brought them and, and you know, but they're going to try to beeline it to their car, get them, okay? I give you permission. And because uh, here's the deal, we're going to have a great conversation back there. And I want to learn your name. I don't have to touch you or anything, but I love you. So, Kai, why don't you come up here? Let's pray for the people. I'll give it up for my beautiful wife, who's preaching on May 9th. Kai is going to be preaching on Mother's Day. And that's also when we're going to have child dedication. So if you have one of those little ones to dedicate, sign up over at guest services or online. Yeah. Hey, we love you. We've been praying for you. Can't wait till next week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name. And as you go, have an awesome week. I love you. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.